this too shall pass. Did you know that this was an ancient Persian phrase? In niz bagzarad. I'm not going to lie. I just wanted to say bagzarad a bunch of times. We got to know this phrase because of Edward Fitzgerald, the English poet. Then again, it was used by our 16th president, but before he became president, Abraham Lincoln. This too shall pass. And I know it doesn't feel like it. It feels like this is going to go on forever, but this too shall pass. I think many of us are feeling quarantine fatigue at this point. We just want out. Perhaps that's why I'm preaching from out here while practicing social distancing with Greg, who's shooting this. I just felt like I had to get out. We're tired and so many of us are experiencing the real financial implications of having to close our businesses down and losing our jobs. We feel that. This is real. This is difficult. But this too shall pass. That doesn't mean that things will get back to normal. And we've talked about this before. So I won't belabor the point. We need to recreate the life that we want in the best way that we can. In this time of deconstruction of what our lives used to be, perhaps we can begin to see how our lives should be and maybe make them different as we come out of our homes and walk through the lifting of these restrictions. The good news is that Paul has a word for us in the passing of this difficulty. He has a word which many Bibles have put as his final advice. Remember, this is the first book of Thessalonians, and we will be going to the second book. So we're not going to be done with this series yet. Paul is about to embark on some moral teaching, what philosophers like to call the paranetic teaching or paranesis. This is just good old advice on how to live our lives, even in the midst of everything that was happening to the church in Thessalonica. You see, while they were worried about the end of time, be it theirs, their friends, or their peers. Paul does have concern about Jesus coming again, but Paul does not want to simply calm their fears about these things. He also wants to prepare them to live in a world that is not ending today. In this way, he's preparing them not only for the present struggles, but also for the time when these struggles will pass. It was not enough for him to simply prepare them for the end, but he felt he needed to prepare them for life in, through, and after the struggle as well. So as he signs off from this letter to his friends in Thessalonica, he wants to give them some advice. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual advice. I mean, I like this word. I like this verse. Why wouldn't I, right? I'm a spiritual leader. But there seems that there is some strife going on in the church in Thessalonica. And often, leaders are the ones who take the brunt of the criticism. For some reason, spiritual criticism is absolutely the worst. We may receive criticism this week that even came in and was pretty painful, I gotta tell you. Of course, interestingly, it was a misunderstanding and perhaps even pointed to something that our church has never done and never has done She may have had the wrong church who ever called us, but it was a moment for the whole team to feel a little bad about the accusations that were being thrown out at us. Spiritual leadership is hard. Now, I'm not saying we cannot, in Christian love, critique and grow. However, leadership is difficult. And in times like these, leaders make the best decisions they can. And spiritual leaders are no less susceptible to taking hard the criticism of those under their influence. 
As one of the leaders of the crosswalk communities and churches, I have to say the utter joy I find in the position that God has placed me. But I'm equally aware of the responsibility as well as the criticism that comes my way from time to time. Our decisions are not infallible and our choices are not always the best. We fail, we make mistakes, but we're blessed by your support. Paul continues in verse 13, show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. I don't think Paul was saying that he was just trying to cover himself. He genuinely felt for the leadership of that church. When people get anxious, they first criticize those who have been put in positions of leadership because quite simply, they're easy targets. When you decide to stand for something, when you decide to take the call to lead, you are placing a target on your chest and many make use of that target. It's part of leadership and no leader can be surprised, but every leader can hurt. I know Paul is talking about spiritual leadership, but I wonder if we can transfer some of this to those who are leading on a broader scale through this pandemic. I want you to know, I struggle with many of the choices that our leaders are making from both sides of the aisle. However, as a Christian, my response needs to be supportive, even in the disagreement. So how do I show respect to someone I deeply disagree with? Well, number one, I think you put yourself in their shoes. Why'd you make the decision that you made? What would I have done? Is it possible they have different information than I do? What is their attitude? And and should ours be the same or better than theirs when it comes to these decisions? Are we just parroting the ideological movement that we espouse? Or are we thinking beyond borders and aisles and trying to find the humanity in which we all have common ground? Number two, I think that we should find a way to think the best of them. This may be hard, listen, especially when we disagree. However, every leader is a human being as well. We have to stop diminishing our leaders to nothing more than a policy that you agree or disagree with. And this is difficult, I understand that. As it is easy to vilify those with whom we disagree, go beyond this and try to find out who we are. And number three, communicate with respect. I can't emphasize this or not enough. Believe it or not, we can disagree and still find a way to communicate that disagreement with great respect. In this way, we actually continue the conversation rather than immediately escalating things to conflict. Listen, the enemy likes nothing more than to have good people stop talking to one another and then separating themselves because of a disagreement. It is not the way of God to say horrible things about those you disagree with. The way of God is to reach out, find understanding, even in the disagreement. I know it seems impossible, but friends, it's not. If you find yourself only dealing with those that you agree with, only reading articles that verify your point of view, or commenting on the things with a degree of disrespect, then you need to check yourself and see if this is what God is really leading you towards. Don't worry, this isn't all Paul is gonna say. In verse 14, he says, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, to encourage those who are timid, and to take tender care of those who are weak. I I think Paul is showing a bias here that he has, honestly. He struggles with those who are lazy, but lazy is perhaps not the best word. Some of those in Thessalonica were struggling with actual depression. The second phrase here is translated as timid, but maybe a better translation is faint-hearted. However, that translation is difficult as well. I think discouraged might be the best word. 
Some of us are dealing with a real and present depression and discouragement. We feel faint-hearted. And then there are some of us who are not so faint-hearted, but need to find patience with those who are. I sometimes feel that Paul had a real hard time with them. And listen, this is a great time of discouragement. Seriously, we need to recognize what people are going through, what we are going through. Sometimes discouragement comes in different ways and displays itself in our lives with unhealthy behaviors. If you're struggling, if you're feeling faint-hearted or faint of heart, reach out for some professional help or reach out to those who are the best encouragers in your life. In verse 15, it says, See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always tries to do good to each other and to all people. So this means that revenge is excluded, right? People will hurt you, especially when they hurt. But we are not to continue the cycle. Scripture is always trying to push us towards a greater reaction, to an elevation of the conversation and action. It's, it's always encouraging us to live beyond the more base reaction that we are often drawn to. It is a call to live better, be better, think better, and do better. Because when we look at ourselves in the mirror at the end of the day, if we have done this, the next admonition is going to be a great deal easier. Verse 16, he simply says, always be joyful. Remember, joyful is not always happy, as happy depends on your circumstances. Rather, be joyful or rejoice always. And when you can't, never stop praying. These phrases go together because when you struggle to find joy, you should begin to pray like crazy. I mean to pray without ceasing. To begin the day in prayer, be in prayer, go to sleep praying. Never let the conversation end. To pray without ceasing means to connect with our inner monologue and let it become a dialogue with God of the universe. Well, talking to yourself can drive you crazy. A conversation with God can create a great comfort. But that means that there's got to be some listening involved. One thing that this sabbatical from life should be teaching us is to sit down a little bit, find quiet, and listen more than we have before. We all have that inner voice, which, by the way, is the Holy Spirit. And we need to rediscover how to listen to that voice. So how do we do that? Well, stop. Just let life stop for a moment so we can hear what is being said to us. Secondly, breathe. This isn't something mystical. I have this little app on my watch that tells me to breathe and it's kind of annoying. Except that when I take the full minute to do it, something slows down and just for a second, life is a little bit broader. And number three, walk. Rather than jumping back into life so quickly, allow yourself a moment to start slowly. That will set your intention in the right direction, and it reminds you that your focus be on Christ. You will start running soon enough, but take the time to simply walk before you run. I know these things are obvious. I'm almost embarrassed to say these things to you. But listen, Paul continues in verse 18, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to him. So often comes back to gratitude with Paul, doesn't it? It does for Paul because he lives in the recognition of the grace that he has received. And this is a good place to live. This is the place where we find joy and solace and peace. It is the eye of the storm. It's the basement in the tornado. And it is the safe harbor when the waves are crashing in. In verse 19, he says, don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Now, why would you do that? But we do stifle the Holy Spirit all the time. 
every angry word, every frustrated post, every time we communicate with a lack of respect, every time we are guided by our worst habits, we are stifling the Holy Spirit in our lives. I don't say this to make you feel bad, but I say this because I find myself stifling the Holy Spirit at times as well. Listen, we've got to learn how to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit as it becomes a much louder presence in our lives. Verse 20 says, don't scoff at prophecies. Now this is interesting. And there's a lot of prophecies that we find in scripture. I mean, we need to take them seriously. And I take them so seriously that I am willing and wanting to do the hard work of finding Jesus in each one of the words of prophecies that we read. Paul is reminding them to take seriously those who have a word from God. And remember, prophecy is not always about the future, but often it's about where we are today and where we are going tomorrow. Everyone at times can speak prophetically into your life. When Paul says, always find joy, he's being prophetic. This is how we should act moving forward. In verse 21, it says, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. And this is a simple call to discernment. And friends, we need deep discernment in what we are going through in today's world. I want to say it this way. Gullibility is not a spiritual gift. And I'm serious. Some Christians have decided that they will pass along every conspiracy theory they can find on the internet. Some are willing to lose their credibility for Christ in order to pass along the newest theory of how things are happening and why they're happening the way they are. In fact, I heard that there is another well-known preacher that has started putting a date, at least a year, on the return of Jesus. Haven't we been there before? Friends, have discernment. I can't emphasize this enough. In fact, I would love it if everyone connected to our communities decided that their Facebook, their Instagram, their TikToks, their Snapchat, whatever, would become sources of hope for Jesus in the world throughout this time. We should show the greatest discernment because we have the guidance of the Holy Spirit. This should guide us to all truth, not the downward spiral of following a stream of thinking on the internet. I can't emphasize this enough. I know I just said it, but be a part of what encourages people. Ask yourself, how will this help the faint-hearted, the discouraged, and the depressed? And if it won't, keep it to yourself. Or maybe just say it the way Paul says it. Stay away from every kind of evil. Paul wraps up his writing by simply saying this, that he wants us, our whole spirit and soul and body, to be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Remember, What's fascinating about this is that God makes you holy. And with that holiness comes a peace. Protect that peace in your life. So how do we maintain this holiness? Well, he said it before, be joyful, pray without ceasing, discern, encourage the faint-hearted, all those things previously mentioned. Oh, but here is what is the greatest encouragement. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. It's not your strength. It's not your power. It's his. It's not your discernment. It's not even your joy. It's God's. He will give you these things and he will keep them with you. Your job is to be faithful. That means go to him first. So let me make this practical. All right. When you think you should respond to something, ask God if you should. Take a moment, take that beat and see what God has to say. If you don't have an answer, wait. If you're discouraged, Ask God about his next steps. Move slowly, but deliberately towards him and his understanding. And the Holy Spirit will give you rest. If you are faint-hearted, 
Ask him for courage and wait upon the Lord for that courage to come. Friends, it is so easy for us to fall into a downward spiral. Don't do it. This too shall pass. And as we wait for it to pass, and as we do things that God has called us to do, as we, as we make the outlets of our lives into encouragement, into things that glorify the Lord, as we do that, we can help shift the thought process of the world. We can help change the world to become a better place. That is what we're called to do as Christians. So let's be those people. Let's be that community, the one that encourages, the one that grows, and the one that does not become faint-hearted at the end of time. Let's bow our heads. God of grace, again, we've come to you to be encouraged and to encourage. As well, Lord, we want to have discernment in our lives. We want to stop. We want to breathe. We want to walk before we run. Lord, all these things that you've called us to, we can only do if you empower us to do. And the good news is that right in this text is the power is the strength that all comes from you. So Lord, may we lean onto not our own understanding, but onto yours. We pray this in your holy name, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen.